We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If I ventured in the slipstream This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by RickVanGood.com All of the stats, tools, and info that I'll be referencing on the podcast can be found over on RickVanGood.com You can still sign up today and get the weekly pass which will give you access to all of my premium articles, full written breakdown of Los Angeles Country Club. It gives an over 4,000-word description of every angle of that golf course, including everything I'm putting into my model, what type of skill set this golf course, this highly unique golf course should favor, trends and angles, what matters, what doesn't matter, Dumb narratives, smart narratives, plus Wednesday, DraftKings, final thoughts, access to questions for me in that premium Slack channel, which will be the best place to reach me this week. Not to mention Cavs ownership projections, model generator, and so much more. So head on over to rickrunkit.com, promo code Andy. That is the important part if you want to help me out, and we would love to have you as part of the team. All right, coming up on this podcast, myself. Kobe DuBose breaking down the entire DraftKings slate for the 2023 U.S. Open. I was so fired up for this one. I've had so much more time to think about this golf course and think about how this is actually going to play out. Have gotten a lot of good intel from the grounds today. Um, so this is a good one. Still a little early in the week with ownership. We're recording this at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time, but wanted to give a full two days for everyone to listen and Kobe and I are, are generally pretty good at being able to look at early ownership and predict where things are going to end up. Uh, so without further ado, let's bring on Kobe. All right, Kobe Dubose is here. We're back for another major championship, one that is right down the road for where I am currently. I'm recording this podcast about 12 minutes from the golf course. It's absolutely gorgeous right now in Southern California. You're recording this from an airport that I'll probably be at in a couple weeks time. Right. If I have that correctly. Yeah. You're in, uh, you're in Canada. So thank you for, for, for doing this under somewhat extenuating circumstances as always. It's all good. Yeah. No, I'm in Victoria, Canada. We're just waiting to fly to Vancouver and then back to Houston, play a little golf. You and I are going to be up here in what, two or three weeks. So, but no, excited to talk about this one. I've been pumped for this major for a while. I talked to you about it and, 
Uh, I was a little sad that this major seemed to get lost in the mix a little bit with the news from last week, but I think people are starting to get their head on straight and we're going to have a pretty good week. I was going to say, I mean, are you being, am I underutilizing you in this podcast if we don't get into the, uh, the nuances of antitrust litigation? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I I've been reading more articles from like the Washington post and stuff. I, some of these guys might have some criminal liability if all this went down in a sketchy. No, I'm just kidding. It's a little bit over my head. Um, well, I don't know what the legality is, but it's hard for anybody to know anything when nobody knows anything. The facts right. are all hidden in a black box somewhere. So it's hard to give uh, takes when you don't have the facts. Right. It's 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 a true. You can just you can frame this however you want. If 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 you're a big left guy, you're a fucking winner. <laughs> you know, yep. if if you want to look at some aspects of the PGA Tour and what their business could look like going forward. You're a fucking winner. You know, if you're, you know, everybody you're, took a you're, you're a big Saudi guy. If you're a big, what about China guy? You're big, big W for you today as well. So, uh, everybody walked out of that room smiling. Uh, <laughs> Wiley asked me last night, like, what's your opinion on this after a week? And I said, well, I think the only thing I know is that the deal makers definitely won. Like, we're going to find out everybody involved probably either made a lot of money or they strengthened their position. I don't think anybody in that room cared necessarily what would happen to the people outside of the room, but I think everybody inside that room uh, made a good deal for them. So, yeah, this is uh, this is the last thing I'll say, but you just made me think about it. So I'll say this to put a put a bow on it. I have a couple people I know that that operate in in similar circles to to Jimmy Dunn, and you know, on one side of this, it's you know the guy basically I don't want to say built his career. But 9-11 has been such a talking point and staple of his professional and personal life. I mean, he was a partner at a, a company called Sandler O'Neill, which was based in the Twin Towers. He was not in the Twin Towers when 9-11 happened because he was playing a mid-am qualifier at Deepdale. And he he lost 66 of his employees, including you know his best friend, another a guy named Brian Quackenbush, his partner. Um, and, and, you know, he's talked about how the, the game of golf has really been this, saved his life. I mean, he said that very openly in interviews, that the game of golf has saved his life and has been this channel for him to get through, you know, what was the hardest day of his life, you know, straight, straight into straight, Full circle, yeah, straight into coming full circle. But you know, as he said on Golf Channel, you know, if if he if he finds somebody that that was involved in nine eleven, directly, he'll he'll kill them himself. Um, but I mean, that's the thing about Jimmy Dunn too. Is it's like I've said since day one, I've been really early on this Jimmy Dunn thing because I find him such a fascinating figure in golf. He's like the worldwide West of of golf, but times X and. When the Knicks got worldwide West, I was like, just trust me, guys, the Knicks are going to be good. They have the guy that is behind the scenes pulling all the strings with Nike and Kentucky. The Knicks are going to be good if they have worldwide West on their side. Jimmy Dunn's like that in golf, both in the men's professional game and, you know, just in, well, in the private, in the private club game. I mean, we're talking a, a resume of he's a member at Augusta. He's a member at Cypress. He's a member at the cock. He's a member at national. I believe he's a member of Pine Valley. Yeah, I mean it's 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 
it's truly absurd. But yeah, no, he said that he would he would kill uh, anyone d- that was directly involved in 9-11 personally if he found them. But that's the thing about Jimmy Dunn, too. Is like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody so, needs to get that guy, huh? It's the, it's the thing about Jimmy Dunn, too. It's like the guy didn't get to this position without being able to read the room and being an absolute expert, expert deal maker. And sure. uh, so I think at the end of the day, it's just a very cynical way of looking at you know, make the deal when you have it and, and money's always going to, money's always going to rule the world at the end of the day. But just what there's so there's a, there's like a 10,000 word think piece on this whole Jimmy Dunn thing. If you really go back through the guy's life and career that I'm just hoping that somebody, somebody gets out there at some point. I've been excited. Sally Jenkins writes for the Washington post and she covers sports generally. And she's been all over the Jimmy Dunn and Ed Harley angle of this and has been asking all the right questions just about what did they get out of this? What did their firms make? Who is advising? Like she's right. really been banging the drum on. Um, Cause Hurley is a big lawyer. So all the people that are saying that this deal isn't going to go through, it's like, you really think that one of the biggest lawyers in New York, I mean, I would be surprised if when it comes to M and a that Ed Hurley, he had it, considered a lot of these things. The other angle of it that's fascinating too, is that both Hurley, he and Dunn are Augusta guys. And I think, I think some stuff in, in the discovery was probably going to drag Augusta and a lot of these governing bodies related to the OWGR into this shit that they didn't want to be dragged through the mud in. And I know Augusta didn't want any of this smoke at all, or want to be a part of any of this. So those yeah. guys probably were those guys probably as members of Augusta were looking at this and saying, "Man, if we can fucking avoid discovery at all costs, let's just make the deal." Everybody wins. Well, that's what she's been writing about. Like the conflict of interest goes so deep. It's like, is there are there problems that you don't want to come out about your own entities and things that you're associated with that are the tour? And then Harley's firm was the one that was advising on this deal. He works for Watchell which, you know, probably the white shoe is white shoe firm in New York, um, other than like Scat, but, you know, they make huge fees on mergers. They take like percentages of deals typically on top of their hourly fees. So there's a little bit of a conflict there with his own firm standing to benefit from some sort of merger, depending on what the structure was. Right. I'd be real curious to see what the like documents say. Like when it comes out and we see who made what on this deal, what did Watchel get, like, I mean, we're lawyers, like lawyers are supposed to avoid conflicts, but you know, I mean, everybody's looking out for number one. So I'll be curious to see how that goes. I don't want to accuse anybody of anything, but I know Sally Jenkins is certainly accusing them of a lot of things in her tweets. So we'll, we'll see what comes of a deep dive whenever they get their hands on the documents. Just, just like the, the public. I mean, I know for a fact that Jimmy Dunn told Dustin Johnson to lose my number and banned the live guys from the Seminole pro member. So just the, the, fur, the full circle aspect of, you know, the guy, yeah, the guy, the guy is, it comes out publicly in an SI piece denouncing all the player. I mean, he told, he said that the live players, uh, the guys that went to live were, were not serious golfers anymore, essentially, and took the easy way out. And he banned them from the Seminole pro member, which is like, Probably the biggest event when it comes Social to the, when it comes yeah. to the intersection of business and golf. 
So sure. that's a big deal that the live guys couldn't go to that. I mean, they were, that was a big deal when it comes to, you know, the behind the scenes intersection of, because, you know, all these guys, all these professional golfers are are playing with guys that they're hoping to get into business with. And Jimmy banned them, Jimmy banned them all. So I was joking. I was joking is I, I want to market on who Jimmy's next partner at Seminole at the Seminole pro member is next year. <laughs> Brooks. DJ, one of the two. Yeah. Um, all right. So we could do it. I may have you back to do more of that stuff. I was talking with Wiley at that too, because I, I never got a full, it was really frustrating to me in the days leading up last week. You know, I've worked harder on this golf course and I know this golf course. Um, I, I mean, I've played this golf course way more than I played Oak Hill. I have a, I, this is in my opinion, a top 10 golf course on the planet. I mean, I, I truly hold it in that high regard. And I, you know, last week, the, the DMS were, when are you, when are we going to get your merger takes? So, I mean, I, hopefully I'll do a deeper dive on that at some point, but I, I, I hope that this golf course is going to be allowed to shine. And, you know, obviously there's going to be press conference questions about, the the news that's completely unavoidable but I, I i hope that we get to hear players talk about this golf course too and some of their press conferences because i'm fascinated to hear what some of the players have to say from a bird's eye view what have you you've been taking in some content today what what's your relationship to to lacc and how, how are you feeling about it as we stand on monday evening so i'm excited you know as a golf course guy a lover of good architecture somebody who sort of followed Gil Hance for a long time. And Jeff Shackelford, of course, his involvement, he writes prolifically about all this stuff. I've been excited for this one for a while. I remember listening, I think it was probably a Friday podcast, maybe three or four years ago, where um, Shackelford was talking about LSCC. And really, he was super excited about it. Got me jacked for this tournament. So I've been looking forward to it a long time. The more I hear the content world, there's everything's all over the place. I and mean, I think it's another one of these majors where people don't know anything whatsoever about this golf course and they guard it so closely. Nobody's really seen it. So it's hard to really nail down how it's going to play. And then you add the, the thing that makes it tricky is that the USGA is involved in that as well. So it's really right. hard to know what to do to it. And I heard Sh- Shackelford on the, the Friday, I guess it was published yesterday, and he's not even real sure how it's going to play. He's yeah. like, well, I hope the USGA does this to it and doesn't do that to it. So I think they hold a lot of the cards and how this golf course is going to play um, in the content world. I think I've heard everything from, you know, driving doesn't matter at all. I've had to, gaming. I've had to vent to you a little bit because I, you, us open the major weeks are the only weeks I listen to golf content because I really want to have a handle on DraftKings, And then it just reminds myself why I don't listen to golf content the other 32 weeks of the year. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think I've heard a lot of the, the narratives that seem to be percolating are, you know, people really understanding that you're going to need to be creative around this place. I think when they talk about that, they talk about being creative around the greens, but I think it's a little deeper than that. We'll talk about that a little more later, but um, I think I've also heard the narrative that you can't really spray it off the tee. That's obviously something that people seem to get. Um I haven't really heard a lot of people talk about bombers, things of that nature. Um, I think people. I have a have little. A I have a little bit. I think people are falling a little bit into the trap of like long-term U.S. Open trends. Like, oh, like there is a big trend about 
total driving and you have to be this big, powerful driver of the ball to win a U.S. Open. And what I would say is I, I think that power off the tee in the modern game is important on any golf course. I mean, it's important. It helps at Harbor Town. It's important on any golf course. But I I personally believe, and I, I don't know if this is being contrarian because maybe maybe more people are onto this at all, but I, I think because of the width and the firmness of the golf course, this is going to be the least this has the least, and I talked about this with Lamania. This has, in my opinion personally, this has the least potential to turn into a driving contest, especially in place in the context of golf courses like Wingfoot and Torrey Fine. I just don't see that at all. Sure. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think there's always the potential for somebody to drive it really, really exceptionally and elevate themselves. And whoever mm-hmm. wins this tournament will drive it well, but I don't think it's going to be the kind of golf course where just hitting it 340 is what gets you there, right? I mean, I think Shackelford kind of talked a little bit about the thing that's going to determine how this golf course plays is sort of what the, what they do with the mow lines and with the rough and stuff like that, because that will kind of determine where the advantage off the tee is. And I think that's still a little bit up in the air. We've obviously seen videos of, you know, of deep rough. Right? We see those every major. So I do think there's some question marks that will affect just how important driving is. But I think the more I listen to the folks that have actually spent a lot of time there and even the guys who worked on it, they expect this to be a tournament where uh, whoever's playing great will win regardless of skill set. Like there'll be a lot of guys right. elected picks at the top of the leaderboard. Um, and I think you can use whatever your big skill is. If you do that exceptionally well, that'll help you here. I mean, sure. If Bryson goes out and hits it, you know, it hits every fairway down the middle and kills it. then yeah, he'll have an edge, but that's not, it's not a kill. It's not wing foot. It's not no. one of those deals where half the field is out when we start, which is unusual for US Open, I think, um, which makes us more interesting. It's also why I'm not putting a lot of credence in long-term US Open form, except that I do want to find guys who can sort of hang in there because it can be grueling, right? Yeah. Any US Open test is going to be grueling, but it's hard to separate that from the numbers. You know, the other thing that I think has gone too far God, I'm, I love doing this podcast with you on Monday night because all the other content, it's such a, you know, these majors turn into this like, you know, two week content cycles now. So people yeah. appreciate it so much when I get all my shit out as early as possible. But, you know, now I've had so much time to do more thinking about this golf course. The other thing that's gone too far is like, as a person that spends nine months out of the year, 12 minutes away from the golf course, this marine layer thing has gone like too far. Like it, I'm just telling you right now, you know, I, I just walked around Los Angeles for, I went for a two hour walk in Los Angeles just before we hit record. And I've been out and about today, you know, it's warm and sunny. I've been talking a bunch with people that are at the course today. I wanted to make it to the course today. And then the day kind of got away from me. I'm hoping to get out there tomorrow. Like this golf course is going to play firm. Like it's, it's going to be, you're, there's going to be cloudy in the morning, but you know, the takes of this is going to be that much more of an easier U S open. All right. Like if you want to give me like nine under eight or nine under, like I, I'm with you, I'm there. But this idea that somebody's going to, sh- somebody's going to shoot 15, 15 under out here. I mean, to people like Aaron Hills was a PR disaster for the USGA. It's not happening again. They're, they still have too, they still have way too much pride to let that happen. It's not, it's not fucking happening. This golf course is going to be firm and fiery. And yeah, maybe it's, 
maybe it's two or three strokes easier than than uh than the country club maybe but i mean come on come on that's that's ridiculous you know i think particularly when they go to a new place now i know lacc is not new in terms of the world of golf course architecture but it is new to major championships and to u.s opens so when they go to a new place and kind of put themselves out there they're certainly not doing that to get beat over the head like they did with aaron hills with an 18 you know with a 15 16 under you know kind of birdie fest that's not what they want that's not why they went there you know, that's not why they're in a place where there are 290 yard par threes, which I know that's gotten a lot of run on social media, too. So I think they're going to set it up tough. I think it's going to be firm. Um, and I think they have a lot of options when it comes to, you know, setting up the golf course the way they want, because I don't think weather's going to play a huge role. So I think they have a lot of control over, over what they're going to do. Yeah, here. Right. If, if somebody's nine under on Saturday night, they're going to make Sunday harder. Yeah, They're cranking it up. They're hitting yeah. the button. Yeah. They're hitting the button. You know, yeah. And that's that's the other thing too about the you know the we've just we've gotten so liberal with the the California thing too is it's like this is let's just consider the fact that this is a Bermuda based golf course that doesn't have a speck of poa or kikuyu on it with bent grass greens that is a top ten most exclusive golf course in the world. You think that a 17 year old Max Homa was waltzing through the gates of LACC every Friday. It's not a, it's not a Xander grew up playing Tory Pines situation. Like it's not a public golf course. This is like one of the most exclusive pieces of property in the country. Like Kurt Kitayama from Chico isn't heading into LACC every Friday afternoon to, to, to get some reps with Jim Nance. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not happening. I mean, it's just, it's Homa said in an interview, he's like, yeah, I played the pac 12 here and I've, I've played here one other time in the last decade, one other time in the last decade. Well, it's funny. Shackleford was saying, you know, speed has gotten out there some and Cantley obviously plays it every, you know, a good bit, but he said a lot of the guys just haven't seen it one because they don't, really go and do advanced scouting trips like they, you know, players of the past would because they think yeah. they can get all the information on the internet and flyovers and all that. Um, but two, because it's not, I mean, obviously if Max Holma calls up today and wants to go play LACC, he's getting sure, on. Of course, of course, today, like, yeah. Not a place that just because you went to college at, you know, UC Irvine, you didn't yeah. just get to call up there and play one after, yeah. right? So a lot of these guys haven't seen it as much as maybe they would have seen other courses. Um, and he said he's, you know, kind of been surprised just a guy is not really getting out there in the last week either. Like, you know, he's no, Rory's Rory's never been there. I mean, this is sure. Rory. Rory said this is his first time seeing the, seeing the golf course. Yeah. You know, I think Scheffler played college event there. Maybe the Walker Cup. Yeah. Played hardly. So most of these guys either have no memories or in some cases like Scheffler, bad, um, bad memories there. So that's interesting. And I think. In part, whenever that happens, it kind of sets up a test of who can digest the information the quickest during the lead up to this week, who has the best caddies, who has the best like analytics team around them, um, which doesn't make me feel great about Rory uh, in his course management, even on uh, courses he knows well. Could, it's a whole other part. Don't even, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I've heard your thoughts on that, and I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm hearing. Um. Let's start talking about the the slate. So I'm looking here. We'll talk about the 10K range first and work our way down. We're recording this on Monday evening, which, you know, I think is a good time to record because 
yes, ownership's early and some of the numbers that I'm seeing are surprising to say the least, but I think you and I are both really good at being able to figure out where we think things are going to settle. Um, sure. And so I have some opinions on where I think this is going to go, but the 10K range has five guys in it. It's got Scheffler, Rom, Brooks, Cantlay, Hovland. It should have six, um, but Rory's underpriced. But uh, but it's got five guys in it. And um, man, you start. You 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 tell me. I guess start with ownership. I like to do a one guy we're absolutely in on, one guy we're absolutely out on in every range. But in terms of ownership, do you see anybody separating? It's tough. Um, you know, I think everybody that I've heard speak about this golf tournament loves Scotty Sheffield this weekend. Yeah. Uh, his price is a little bit prohibitive, almost at the top, but I think he's so popular that I think a lot of people are just going to bite the bullet. Um, and there's a lot of ways you can build with him. So even at his high price tag, I think there's enough belief in him and his ball striking in the market that I think he will um, separate a little. Uh, I do. I think he ends up in the high, well, I guess mid twenties. Um, Interesting. On, I have him a little lower. I have him like 21 right now. Okay. Well, I think in the higher stakes, of course, he'll be higher. Oh, yeah. Um, in the $20, 20, I don't know what the Millie Maker is this week. Um, what's the, is it $20, $25? What is it this week? Do you know? I think they have a, I think they have a the twenty dollar, and then what's the bigger one? The hundred dollar, three thousand as well. They have a hundred dollar, and then they have a three thousand um, dollar this week. They've been doing the four thousand four four four, uh, and they've done the two two two, but now they've gone to the three three three. So, or I guess interesting three 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 three. So that'll be an interesting size. Um, I do think he'll separate more in the higher stakes, but I think he's definitely over twenty percent, and people are going to try to bite the bullet elsewhere. Um, Obviously, I'm seeing Cantlay come in like everybody else. I mean, the numbers suggest Cantlay is going to kind of slide a bit, which doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I have Cantlay at 10%. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be the one that goes under own. Um, I think there's two reasons for that. One, the biggest thing is just the I'm done with Cantlay narrative, and now he's priced up a bit more than we've seen him in other majors. Which is another ridiculous thing, too, in my opinion, with like the lack of patience that people have with you know, it's like I I've already gotten like oh, I can't believe you're you're all in on Cantley. This like it's like, well, you know, if we're gonna do the the trends thing, it's like 17 of the last 23 US Open winners were first time major winners. Like these guys that are 28, I mean, Phil won his first major at 32. Like these guys, like just have a little patience on some of these guys. Like this happens all the time where these guys that are doing crazy things from a statistical standpoint, they don't just do crazy things from a statistical standpoint and then never win ever. Not that Cantlay needs to justify much. He's won eight times on the PGA tour, but like all these guys, like Scheffler and Finau and Xander and Cantlay and Hovland and Sam Burns and Max Homa that have now some of the highest win rates on the PGA tour. Like they were all, you know, it took them a long time. Some of them where they were, they're bumping their head up against a thing. And and I, I think with some, some of these guys that, you know, are consistently right there are, are I, I think Cantlay is going to win multiple majors in his career. I, I do. I, I do believe do. that. And I think the U.S. Open is going to be one of them, just because the way he plays, he's 
he's perfectly boring and not just as a person, but I think as a golfer, um, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot with Scheffler and Brooks, why they're so good. Uh, and I think someone mentioned, it may have been Bamford on your show. And Rory not only tries to attack pins, but he, he tries to do so with weird shot shapes and things. Brooks is totally content hitting the ball dead straight, you know, to 20 feet. And yeah. that one of the reasons he doesn't back bends is because he's, he's trying to hit his iron straight. He's not trying to shape them into back bends. And I think Cantley is a little bit like that. If you ever watch him, if he gets out of position at all, he's totally content hitting it to 30 feet, which will serve him well here. Uh, he's going to have to take his medicine. I, I like him personally. I mean, I'll have a lot of him if he remains yeah. under all. I don't, I don't mind a guy continuing to finish. The only reason you notice him not winning in the majors is because he's close enough that he's still getting covered. Right? He's finishing 12th to 14th. Like things like that. He's around. He's just yeah. not really in the story. But it, it's not a far leap from being. Yeah, Cantlay's Cantlay's major record is not Max Homa and Sam Bird's major record. Like, and I think he's been better at opens than he has some other places. Well, so you know, I think it's a good spot for him. But I do think he's going to come in a little under on, and I think Brooks will eventually be more on than the projections have him now. I think people like Brooks this week. People are. They've been burned, the sort of Brooks truthers, of which I guess I am one. Um, the only thing that may keep his ownership down is just the news of his sort of, I don't know, personal demise over the last few weeks. I, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but, I mean, we've seen nothing but him partying with the peas, yeah. you know, potentially riding the white lightning. Um, so I think people are, are keen a to bit, that. A little bit easier to secure party favors in the city of Los Angeles than Rochester, by the way. It sure is. That might have been the perfect place for him. Just have all the majors in like just Midwestern or sort of rural enclaves. Not that Rochester's rural, but it's, it might as well be compared to LA. So. Right. There's no way him and Jenna aren't going out to some of these restaurants, right? I mean, maybe that's the thing that's yeah. funny. It's it's like, I, I actually don't, I say this tongue, tongue in cheek because I, I think he's incredibly focused when it comes sure. to the major championships. I think he's made it like abundantly clear that's the only thing that he cares about. But it, you know, it's it's funny. You think about like, um, you think about how in the NBA, it's like the Miami thing, where the Heat just have this like exorbitantly good home record because sure. when when all the teams come to Miami, they all go out in South Beach and and do the eleven and all the nightclubs out there. And yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm curious. Why, why you, used to win the Las Vegas Bowl, you know, right. they'd be like Oregon or whatever, you know, whoever they're playing. It's Utah or BYU in the Las Vegas Bowl, and you know they're not going out, and then they come yeah. and just wreck. You. you know, it's great. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm and L and and LACC is like you know five minutes from all the all the clubs in in West Hollywood and stuff. So now I don't I, actually believe that with Brooks. I think he's going to be like incredibly focused this week. I but no I, I do, I I do think that you know his you know. Uh, blank to clap performance in in that video where he was averaging about forty five claps to, to to one blank per minute, you know, might have been indicative that that chip on, chip on his shoulder that he had coming into uh, Oak Hill after the Masters, he 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 may have silenced the people that he he wanted to silence, and 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 yeah. we shall see going into this week. Yeah, we'll see. I think the market's going to end up um, settling on because his price is pretty attractive. I mean, honestly, it's. You get six hundred dollars savings, um, and the fact that Cantlay is not super popular, you know, I think people are going to go up to Brooks. Um, 
and just see, you know what, his floor is pretty high in these events. Like I'm getting $600 with the savings, particularly if it becomes, oh, I'm getting him at not only a price, but also an ownership discount. If people start to sense that or see that in these sites, he can be one of these guys to catch late steam. And you think you're getting him at 13% and all of a sudden you wake up on Thursday morning. Oh my God, how is Brooks at 19.8? Well, you know, everybody had the same idea. So I think some of that could happen with Brooks this week. Well, I mean, the smoking gun here is I can't believe that Rom is 13%. I mean, that's that's wild to me. That has to go up. I mean, I actually, I, I like Rom more than Scheffler this week. I, I would sure. take Rom in a head-to-head against Scheffler this week. I can explain why I don't, you know, I we're already deep into this podcast and you have to catch a flight. But I'll just say if Rom, if, if 13%, if I'm seeing projections of Rom at 13% on Wednesday, I'm, I mean, I'm going to be extremely heavy on him. I, I, I'm, that surprises me a lot. Like I, I, do you really think that holds that Rom is, is 13 ish percent as I'm seeing right now? He's kind of in a weird price spot. I mean, I like Rom too. Um, yeah. But, you know, he's close enough to Scheffler. And I think people really trust Scotty at, at this moment, um, more so than Rom. Uh, and obviously you can dip down and, and take Brooks. So he's in a little bit of a squeeze spot. I do think he comes in lower than expected, but he's got to catch some steam. I mean, he's John Rahm. It's California. It's a U.S. Open. Like, there's a lot to like about him here. Um, he can win these tournaments. He's, I mean, he's similar to Brooks and, and Scheffler in these events where he can play boring golf. He can hit it to 25 feet all day. And he certainly, to me, um, He's got the ability to just go nuclear. And I think we have such short memories that we forget that John Rahm was absolutely on top of the golf world. Right. Literally months ago. I mean, you know, not just the Masters, but I mean, he's been destroying everything all year. Uh, so I like John Rahm. If he holds at this number, you know, I'll I'll have a lot of him. The only thing I worry about, and I heard Shackleford say that he thinks this golf course rewards a guy who can shape it right to left easily off the tee. Um, and then he said, really, yeah, he likes, there's some, there's some fade holes too, though. I well, mean, there's some fade approach shots. Right off the tee and left to right going into some of the greens. Oh, okay. So I, I agree with him on that. Cause I was going to say, I was thinking about a couple of the pro of the approach shots I think are better sure. for fades. Right. So that's an interesting thing to think about. And he said, especially where the USGA is going to be sticking some of the tee boxes, it's going to kind of animate some of the need to be able to work the ball a little right to left off the tee. And some people may not trust Rom to be able to consistently do that, but he hits it so straight that, I mean, I don't, that doesn't bother. I don't, I'm not people concerned. People said that about Augusta for years and, and, exactly. you know, Rom hit. He just took the place apart. Yeah. So I don't necessarily think that narrative holds a lot of merit. Although, you know, if you like a guy to hit it right to left, um, maybe Rory's your man. Um, but, you know, I think there's a lot to like with Rom here. And I do think he will come in a little bit under own just because of the price point being squeezed between, the two guys everybody seems to love. Yeah, I'm. I'll say it. I'll say it right now. I'm. Unless crazy things happen with ownership, I'm like really heavy on Rom and really ha- heavy on Cantlay. Both will probably be in at least sixty percent of my lineups together. So we're. Pro- Would you say Rom Cantlay are your favorites here, and then we'll each give our least favorite real quick? Yeah, you know I, I've been so consistently fading Scheffler in the right spots. Um, and we haven't even mentioned Hovland, but well, I was waiting for a least favorite. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where I am with him too. Um, particularly those ownership numbers. I think Ugh. the price is up. He'll, like he'll be like 19%. Yeah. 
I mean, you're just, you just got to think about this like stocks. Like, listen, if you think Hovland's the next Scotty Scheffler, you could be right, but you are buying him at like the highest. You're picking such a face. I mean, his numbers, his numbers, Bamford made this point and it's like his numbers look exactly like Scotty's numbers before Scotty turned into Scotty. Great. People, All people right. forget how good Scotty was before Scotty started winning. And it's a lot what Hovland looks like right now from a ball striking perspective. I'll tell you the reason I made that face. I just checked some odds. I was just curious where they're falling. And Circa has Scheffler now at plus 640. Wow. John Rahm up to 12 to 1. Wow. Insane. Listen, I don't have room for him, but Rahm at 12 to 1 is a good bet. That's an insane number. I, you know, I, it's a good bet. What's Rory, by the way? Just out of curiosity. Uh, plus thirteen seventy five, so fourteen to one roughly. Yeah, I actually think Rom at twelve is a better bet than that. I think so too. And that's yeah. I mean, with Scheffler getting that much separation, that's interesting. Somebody made a big bet uh, for it to move that hard because I think he was plus seven seventy five last. What's what's Cantlay at at circa? Oh, sixteen seventy five. Yeah, I got him at seventeen. But but yeah, just to just to put a bow on what I was what I was saying with Hovland is I just, listen, if you think he's the guy and I think a lot of people do, you're just buying him at a, a really high, you're just, you're buying him really high. And we'll talk about guys that you're buying low on. Uh, Cause I think there are a ton of opportunities there later, but um, he's, you know, the fourth, the fourth guy, fourth or fifth guy on the odds board. And he's going to be, I'm very confident he will be at least 19% this week. Yeah, I feel pretty comfortable I, with that. I bought him at a lower price and a lower ownership at the PGA championship. Obviously yeah. that worked pretty well. And I thought that was a good buy low spot, which is why I was on him. Um, and I think this is a little bit of an overreaction that obviously coming out the Memorial win, there's a reason for it. Right. Um, but I think it's, it's a little bit too much of a price and ownership jump together. Um, Cause I think his floor is lower than some of the guys up here at the top. Like, I mean, there's a, there are worlds in which Victor Hovland misses this guy. And I don't think I could say that about Scotty Scheffler or John Rahm or you know, even Rory. I don't think he's going to miss the cut here. So I think there's a world where he's got a lower floor. So if he's going to come in at that high of ownership at that price, you know, I'm willing to take a chance that he burns um, a big percentage of this field. Yeah. The other thing that I would say, and this is my reason to why I'm a lot lower than Hovland, a lot lower on Hovland than consensus is, you know, chipping well at Muirfield Village and Oak Hill, in my opinion, does not really have much correlation to what he's going to have to do at LACC. You know, take it from somebody that grew up playing Northeast Westchester bent grass golf courses. Hovland's figured out that dumpy move, the choppy, out of thick rough chip actually really well. I think he's gotten really good at it. And he's actually talked about when he can slide the club under the ball like that and thicker rough, there's a lot more comfortability here. And Lamagna made another great point about how when it got really when we started seeing a lot firmer turf um over the weekend at the Masters is when Hovland's short game really fell apart. Like that's sure. the reference point that you want to be looking at for Hovland, not him chipping okay at Oak Hill at Muirfield Village. Like I, oh, you know, when I when I got to California and joined the golf club that I belong to, which has the same agronomy as LACC, Bermuda based with bent grass greens and extremely firm turf, I had to learn a completely different chipping motion. 
That's right. No, I mean, I chip on rainy Bermuda all year in Texas, right? And it, it literally caused me to have to spend hours upon hours. I'm like, I don't even know how to chip. Right. And then, you know, as I learned, obviously I, I play on Kakuya up here in Victoria and uh, Polo Greens, but Kakuya rough and fairways. And it's totally different there too. You know, so I had to change my motion a little bit. Um, and I think we've seen with Hovland at the API, right? He's always chipped well there. And that's another place that has the big, big rough. Yeah. So those courses are kind of suited him. Um, and I don't know that he's shown the chops to be able to get it done in U.S. open conditions from tight lies. So, you know, I'll take my chances at that price point, that ownership that he kind of fluffs off. Okay. 9K range. Give me your, let's each do our favorite. Give me your favorite, favorite in the 9K range. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Tough. Cam Smith? Rory? Those are my two. Those are the two guys I'm playing. Yeah, we're gonna have to make you you play in the higher stakes stuff, so I don't think we have to worry about it as much. Yeah, those are my two guys. Well, the thing that's interesting is I was um I was having a conversation uh one of my group chats earlier today that thought that Cam Smith was going to be pretty popular this week. And I kind of bought that a little bit because you know, def people have been talking him up and touting him and stuff, but I, I see Cam at like nine ten percent yeah i think that's where he's going to come in i think the narrative the idea that he can't drive it well enough to be competitive here has sort of set among some people i don't think that's true you know and he's so low priced you can take a shot on him at nine thousand dollars there's a lot that you can do so i like him i like the you know around the green ability i like his ability to manufacture scores out here He's explosive enough to make a bunch of birdies on the holes that you need birdies on. You know, you've talked about it some. This will be a place where scorecards are going to be crazy, right? You're going to have guys making five birdies and three doubles, right? I mean, that's just yeah. the way LACC is going to set up. And he's the kind of guy that can go out and get you a bunch of birdies. So I like him for DraftKings purposes because he feels like a guy who, you know, even if he finishes T16, he might do it with a, a huge bucket of birdies and his DraftKings position really be like seven, right? So that's another thing I think about with him, and I, I think that's going to come through. And Rory, of course, I think it's you're buying. It's a really good buy low spot on him. I just don't. Yeah, and he's he's underpriced enough too, where he's going to like I have him at seventeen percent. Sure, 
But, you know, if my four guys above 9K are Rom at 13, Cantlay at 10, Rory at 17, and Cam at 9, I'm feeling pretty damn good about that. Yeah, you're good there. You know, and I love, I really like Xander in this spot, but I think he's going to be so highly. I think so too. It's just the US Open record, man. And I I bet Xander, I'm really high on him too, but I just, I have a hard time choosing Xander at 21 or 22 over Rory at 17. I just can't do that. Can't do that. Yep, I agree. And I'm feeling the same way because I want to bet him. I mean, I really do think this is a place Xander could break through, but it just feels... I, do, I feel that way too. Yeah. It feels like the market has kind of... is a little bit too high. It's weird to me because people lump him in with Cantley so much. And yeah. I guess, you know, the idea that Cantley's going to be low on, but Xander's going to be high on is just weird. I guess the price difference probably explains that. If you put yeah. Xander, you and know, people you, are so anti an outright bet on Xander, but love going to him in DraftKings, which he's unique in that scenario because a lot of times people like to play the guys that they bet. And, you know, you want to put a paper bag over your face these days on Twitter if you're betting Xander, but he might be the highest owned guy in the slate. He could be. I think he could be. And I think with roster construction, he allows you to do some things. I, I think if people are going to go to the top, it's hard to then go with Xander as your second guy in. But I think you're going to see quite a few, you know, Brooks Xander builds, Hovland Xander builds, things like that um, will be pretty popular, at least in my view. The guy I'm a little curious about, obviously, Fitzpatrick feels like he's going to come in lower on. um, And I like him a little. I don't know that he's going to make a lot of my lineups, but Max Holm is kind of the wild card here for me. Interesting. He's my least favorite. I'm kind of lower on him than consensus. Who? Homa? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's a wild card. I don't know that he's necessarily going to make it in my lineups. I'm just curious what people are going to do with him. The major record, obviously, is what it is. And Doesn't 10% feel low to you with all the 50 to ones that people have been betting for months on this guy? I thought Homa would be higher. Don't they hate their 50 to ones now, though? Like they're Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, people obviously took their stand on Max and the issue with the way the schedule sets up, like, of course, he's been great in California and whatever, you know, how much that matters. Some, I mean, familiarity, being home, whatever. I don't think it matters a ton, but obviously he's been successful there, but we've not been anywhere near California for a long time. So I think people have mm-hmm. lost that good feeling that they had coming off of Genesis. Um, and I think one of the things that people talked about a lot was just how great it's set up for him, which I don't know is necessarily true. I mean, I don't know that the agronomy, he's never really been a big Bermuda guy. Like when's the last time you've seen him play really, really well on Bermuda? I mean, it happens uh, occasionally. But. Sawgrass, probably. He's good yeah. at sawgrass, but you're right. Like, no, I mean, this is like a, if you're going to do the Homa in California thing with Riviera and Torrey Pines, you have to talk about the fact that those are Hoa and Kikuyu golf courses and Los Angeles country club is not. It's a different deal. I mean, it looks, yeah, yeah the trees look the same. Uh, at Riviera and at LACC. It doesn't matter, right? It, it looks the same on TV, but it won't play the same. And maybe people are figuring that out, but I thought he would be more popular just Me because too. of all he's gotten. And it doesn't seem to be materializing. Well, the guy that I think is going to get the ownership in the low nines that I really like too, but I'm not playing because I think that, you know, Cam is lower than I, than I would have expected. So I'd rather just play Cam at that ownership. But Spieth. Yeah, 15% probably on Spieth, who I you know, I don't think it's a bad play. I really don't. Like I, I like Spieth a lot here. I'd rather play Cam at nine. 
Um, but yeah. I, I like Spieth a lot here. I, I really do. Well, I could see Spieth winning this tournament. And yeah, me I, too. Me, I, I just don't eat chalk ever. Um, yeah, me neither. I, I may end up with some just because I, I feel I want his upside. I don't know uh, if he he's may. chalk either, too. Like, I think, well, you know. I agree. He's like medium yeah. chalk. Well, for me, like, chalk, anybody that's getting above 10%, it just makes me queasy. We're the people uh, that that send each other the lineups of, like, can we outdo each other with, you know, you know combined ownership. Total ownership. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. They look so good at the start. They of the look game. so good. <laughs> I'm so well, proud of them. <laughs> I like speed, but I think I, I probably will end up with some speed. Um, hold my nose and just hope that people kind of hop off of him. There's so many options in the in the nine. I was gonna say I was super pumped and happy to play Morikawa because I thought Smith was going to be chalky. I like Smith a little bit more than Morikawa. I just didn't expect them to have the same ownership, but it looks I, like they're going to have similar ownership. And in that case, I would. I would take Smith, but I like Morikawa was healthy too, by the way. Like I've heard from, I've heard on the grounds from people, he's healthy and he looks fine. Back spasms, like they're called spasms for a reason. Like you kind of have them and then you don't, and maybe they crop up again, but like he, he, he had back spasms that day. And like currently he doesn't have back spasms. It's not a back strain, right? right. Didn't- it's not a back injury. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> momentary well i think one of the things holding uh cam smith's ownership down is terrell hatton and oh, Finau both. yeah let's do that let's let's get into the eights yeah i'm i'm good on that and i like terrell i respect his game this year but 20 percent i'm seeing maybe on 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 big terrell with a terrible yeah. u.s open record it, i don't love him on weird classic horses he's team i mean he gets in his head about it does not like he augusta gets- he doesn't like Augusta. He's he's complained about other spots that are sort of classic restorations. I think, you know, you get him in like difficult bunkers, watch his ball go into some of the high fescue around those bunkers, the little eyelashes, and just I could see him getting very frustrated. It makes sense that he doesn't have a US a good US open record, right? I mean, yeah. what is the US all about? It's about kind of just surviving and advancing psychological and examination. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they test some of that. I mean, I know they've gotten out of that a little bit, but he isn't great at that. Um, so, which, you know, he's good at API, which is the, the weird part, because you would think that that would suggest a good U.S. Open um, sort of profile. But I don't know that I could see Terrell Hatton missing the cut here. So I don't I don't want him at 20 percent. I have like four guys in this range that I just am so in love with, but I'll kick it to you first. Give me your, give me your favorite guy in this range. I'm, I'm very curious if we're aligned again. <laughs> I mean, there's just options. There's guys at low ownership here that I just, I really, there, really love. There are options. I mean, if, if Sung J M is going to come in at yeah. six, 7%, I mean, yeah, I'm playing Sung Jay. Oh yeah. 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 I'm, I'm in. There's you know, a little last, Sung Jay sucks vibes these days. Well, you know, he was the free square last year. I remember I got, I was in, where was I doing this podcast? Maybe in St. Andrews. I was in St. Andrews doing yeah. this podcast. Everybody was like, well, Sung Jay M at $70 or whatever. Yeah. Isn't he the free square? And I was like, there's no such thing as free squares. If y'all are going to play him in the high stakes, he was 42%. He missed the cut. I was like, if y'all gonna, and that's why there were like six people in the Mega Millie last year for the U.S. Open that had a six of six. And I was one of them. Brian Harmon had a birdie free weekend. So he turned my six of six into a five of six. 
but that's because Sungjae took the entire tournament down. Uh, but I think at that percentage, that ownership percentage, I think we're buying low on him a little bit. And we haven't seen a lot of him. Um, so I'll take him. I think he, he strikes the ball well enough, and I think he hits it straight enough. And I like his around the green game here, and I think there's a lot to like. Um, I completely agree. Uh, he's, ha- I mean, this is a guy, we're talking about a guy who has got 11 top 30 finishes this year and 16 starts. I mean, he's been all over the leaderboard. I mean, and he's still, he's got such a complete, he's got such a complete game that can keep him in a tournament like this. He's like, he's got a really good short game. He's a solid long arm player, solidly accurate driver of the ball. I just think, I just think it's a steal at that ownership. And then I'll, I'll, I'll tell you too. I mean, there are four guys that I'm playing here, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you what I think is honestly my probably I don't know if he's my favorite DraftKings play in the slate, but I mean, Jason day at 8,100 and, and five, 6% on Jason day. I think, I mean, this is a guy who contended at Marion, which I really like in terms of that weird quirkiness, short, long holes, thick grass. It's even like a Barranca esque feature at Marion too, that kind of traverses through that property. Amazing record at Augusta. Ninth at Chambers Bay, might have won Chambers Bay if he didn't have like a stroke on Friday. A fourth at Pinehurst. And he, I mean, like he's still, he's gained four off the tee at Memorial. I mean, it was a good missed cut. And he's, you know, now he's going to be, Jason Day is going to be like 5% in this tournament. And he's been, Jason Day in US Opens, and it's the good US Opens too. It's the US Opens that I want. But, you know, he's got, He's got a 50% top 10 rate in U.S. Opens across 10 U.S. Opens, and he's 5%. That price, that ownership. And I'll tell you, Oof. this sneaky comp that I don't think anyone talks about, and I will always give this sneaky comp because I am notorious for it. I think there's some Houston Open Memorial Park. I knew you were going to do it. I knew you were going to do it. Yep. Barranca. It's the only place in the world that has a Barranca that's not L.A. apparently. I mean, <laughs> Tom Doak. Most of the restoration was taking out trees just to reveal this basically running dry creek throughout the whole property. It's a branca. That's what it plays like. It's what it looks like. All the videos I've seen of LACC, that's what kind of meanders through Memorial Park. It's Bermuda. It's thick-ish Bermuda rough that plays kind of, kind of like what you're going to see this week, which is like you don't know what you're going to get out of it and controlling your shot out of the rough. It's impossible. Memorial Park, the real challenge in that place, it's wide enough. But if you get off, you're in these really sandy, rough, kind of rugged areas. Um, obviously, it's Bermuda Greens, but which is different. But it does have that sort of modern architect stuff going on with Tom Doke, you know, yeah. building kind who, of worship George Thomas, by the way. Right, worship George Thomas. Also, him and Hans. I wouldn't say they're they're not exactly alike, but they have similar design philosophies. Yeah, um, and it's a long course. I mean, the Houston Open. Uh, you know, it plays, they stretch it out to 74, 7,500 yards if they want to. So I think it's a, uh, I think it's a decent comp and he's played really, really well there. Even, you know, two years ago in 2020 when he wasn't great. So, you know, I like that comp here a little bit, I'm not looking to it too closely, but for something like that, when I see Jason Day play well there, obviously he's showing the form, driving yeah. the ball well, the approach play concerns me a little. Yeah. But fair. He, he, does, he, well, he does so much well around the greens that, there's, um, he's the kind of player who can not be perfect on approach and still be okay, particularly in a grind fest. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I don't hate it at that price. 
And then, I mean, get transitioned to like 11% fee now. I mean, that pendulum swung too far. I'm there 100%. Sure thing. I mean, obviously, fantastic. Houston open record, if you believe my theory. Right. Um, fifth, at, fifth at Shinnecock. I mean, Shinnecock. great, great on firm golf courses. I mean, that's just a, it's just, we talk about these buy low things. I mean, it's like Finau has been 20 plus percent at recent majors at higher prices. I mean, it's just, that's a good play. And then, you know, I'm only human too. I mean, Justin Thomas at seven, come on. I'm not even saying like you want to, cause I posted the, he's 50 to one now. Like, I don't think he's going to win either, but he's 8,707%. He doesn't have to win. And I think he's like, there's always like a, it's darkest before dawn inflection point situation with great players. I still think Justin Thomas is a great player. Um, he's won 15 times in his two majors. Like there's gotta be like a, there's, has gotta be like a fucking meeting at this point. Right. Like with pops and bones, like there's gotta be a, this is not the guy, you know, Rory is the guy that's making quotes about, you know, I, my career is a success, no matter what happens. JT's sure. like, I've completely underachieved. Like there's no way this guy isn't, he's going to show up. He's going to show up here. I know he's going to show up here. If you had told me at the beginning of the year that there was just an $800 price difference between Corey Connors and Justin Thomas at the USO, I mean, I'd have laughed at you. I said, what, did Corey Connors win four times? Like, what do we? What happened? Like, how do we get there? I, so I think we're looking at a guy who's normally 10,000, 10, 10,2, 9,8, and now he's, what, 8,700? So I'm with you. I think the price has dropped low enough, and I always like him. Places you want to talk about a, a guy who likes to be a little creative, who'll need some short game. You know, I think there's a lot that he brings to the table here. If he can keep it on the planet with the driver, um, I think he'll be able to take advantage of some of these shorter holes, the sort of half par holes. I think he could make a lot of birdies here too. Um, although I, I think he'll make a bunch of bogeys, but I think he could outscore his DraftKings position similar to Camp Smith. So I like him a great deal, and I hope he remains at that ownership. Yeah, real quick. I mean, least favored in this range. Do you have somebody that's like a big no for you? Um, I mean, I like ostensibly I like everyone in this range. Honestly, I'd play any of them. Even Sam Burns, I like more than most people will this week. Yeah, I don't um, like him at all. So that would have been mine probably. So, well, I mean, if he were profiling to be twelve percent, no. But if you're going to get him at two or three percent, of course. Then I, yeah, of I'll course. Take- I mean, and I'm only just because Jason Day is not going to be much higher. It's like, I'll just do that. And I, the guy I probably wouldn't play. Well, I mean, we mentioned Hatton. I'm not going to play Hatton, but I mean, Hideki's ownership, I think he's going to climb and climb and climb. He's yeah. going to be the guy to end up just way over on here. Agreed. And nothing against him. I think he's a good play, but Me it too. all has to do with ownership percentage. I mean, how good a play you are depends on Your just how much yeah. you can take out. And it, at whatever he's going to get to, which frankly could climb to like silly, because that's that's where the all the ownership is going in there. Uh, that's what I'm seeing and what I'm looking at on Twitter, and I'm hearing all the shows. So I'd probably be out on Hideki. The thing people miss with the ownership thing, like because we probably get shit for being too much on the side of playing the chalk, because it's like you got to ask yourself the question. It's like, listen, I I like Hideki a lot this week in a vacuum. Maybe he has a higher chance to outplay Justin Thomas this week. But if I gave you 
minus 200 if if Hideki's minus 200 against JT in a matchup which would never be the case like that's how you should feel about Hideki if you're going to play him over JT and if you do that's great then play him I mean there's a guy I mean and I'm able to do this because of how much leverage I'm gaining at the top of the board but like I'm not anti-chalk you're not either and there are a couple guys in the sevens that I think are legitimately mispriced that are going to get ownership that I'm playing because of the leverage I'm able to create at the top of the board. Um, so let's talk about the let's talk about the sevens. Um, big range. Um, I'm just gonna th- what I'm gonna do here is I'm gonna give you there are five guys at the top that are gonna be very highly owned. And you just tell me of the five, I'm playing one of them. And you just tell me of the five who you are most likely, your answer might be zero or it might be two of these guys. Who is your, who is, who are you most likely to play? Fleetwood, Rose, Bryson, Ricky, Adam Scott. I think every single one of those guys will be between like 15 and 20%. That could change. But right now I have Fleetwood, Rose, Bryson, Ricky, and Adam Scott. All between like fifteen and twenty. Um, I like Adam Scott out of that group. Okay, uh, I think he's a high floor. I think his ceiling's a little bit limited, um, but I like him okay here. Obviously, if Justin Rose were just a tick or two lower, I I like him. That's my favorite. Monitoring. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be monitoring the situation pretty closely with him. Yeah, um, I like what he can do. I mean problem with Justin Rose is you play him or you fade him. You know what's going to happen. You're going to look up on Friday and he's going to be rolling in another 11-footer yeah. per par, and then he'll roll in the 22-footer for birdie on the next hole, and you're like, oh, this he can't keep getting away with it. But then he does. And then um, he does, yeah. You know, and then, he, then he'll hit it to two feet at some point in the round, right? So I like him here. I like him. The Marion comp that you brought up, obviously, and I think he's playing well. Tenth made- at the cock, too, and twelfth at Pinehurst. Sure. And it's really... I mean, why is that, right? I mean, you have to ask yourself, there's something to guys knowing how to play in these majors. I mean, he's one of the guys that knows how to get the ball around, knows when to take chances, smart, pretty strategic player. Um, and he gets the most out of his game uh, at these types of places. So I don't hate him. I just think he's going to be so highly on that it's going to be hard for me to bite the bullet. But I will hope that his numbers come down a bit. Rose is my favorite in that group. Least favorite. I mean, I'm not playing Fleetwood. I'm not playing Fowler and I'm not playing Scott. I have respect for those guys. So I think the Bryson thing's a bit wild to me. I mean, I think I see Bryson at almost 20%. And I think that goes down. I don't think he'll be 20%, but that would be, I'm just way lower on consensus than him. And I I can explain why. I mean, I, I don't, I have concerns about his single length irons on these golf courses with topography. I mean, I I went back and looked and tried to find the places with the most topography that, I mean, he's terrible at Augusta. He's been bad at Kapalua. You look through and it's like, is the most topographically interesting golf course that he's ever won at TPC deer run maybe Memorial. I mean, I can't remember where he won at Ridgefield or Plainfield, it's one of those. Both of them are super flat. Sure. I mean, it's Makes not... Sense. Winked Foot's flat. Oh, kill that he played well, it's flat. I, I I just worry about the... And I actually... 
I'm really high on Bryson. I think the next 12 months of Bryson is going to be really good, actually. I don't know what that looks like because I don't know what golf outside of the majors look like the next 12 months. So I don't I don't know where he's going to be playing or what tour he's going to be playing. But like, I, I'm really pro the shedding the weight. I think he's going to actually realize his full potential setting the weight. I think that that was lightning in a bottle that he was able to capture for a couple months at Wingfoot. And this is going to be much more sustainable in terms of good golf that is potentially being able to play throughout your thirties and into your forties. By the way, he still fucking bombs it. Like even this skinny version of Bryson still hits it a mile. So I'm like pro Bryson long-term. I just don't think this is the the week. I don't think this is the the golf course for him, but I, I think he, I think he is due for some good things soon in this form, in this body. He, he like, he called himself in an interview. He's like in my new form, but I just don't think the, this is the week. And even if it was a good fit for him, I mean, even if it was a good course fit for him, the ownership's just out of control. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I, I who Bryson is as a player, I think there's many knowns and there's some unknowns in his new form. I do think he's going to struggle around the greens a little bit here. I don't trust him. Um, the putter can either be really good or really bad with him. He, he has the ability to get red hot. Uh, but I do think his dispersions and the fact that he can drive in some really awful places. It's yeah. not so much that he can drive it. A lot of people can drive it in awful places. Bryson doesn't recover super well. No, he, do, he doesn't. He makes big numbers and I could see him making like an 11 on like two here. That's all it's going to take. Or 17. Blow up holes everywhere. Um, and I think part of, as you mentioned, is single length irons, this kind of weird swing and he's very rigid. And You know, when you get in the trees or in the barranca or in the, wherever you end up here, you know, it requires a little bit of artistry to get out and he lacks that. And I think that can hurt him in these um, and the other thing he lacks, frankly, for all of his plotting and all of his science and fake bullshit, he doesn't really think his way around a golf course great. Now, when he's hitting it well, you know, he can pick good lines. Sure, if there's an advantage to going up seven fairway, right, he'll figure that out. But I don't think in the moment he thinks his way around the golf course all that well. He doesn't hit great recovery shots to good spots. If you watch him a lot, you'll find him going for things he should not be going for. He doesn't take his medicine well, um, which is why he ends up making big numbers. So I don't love him here. And I don't love him at that ownership, but I can understand why people are playing him because I think the ceiling is high, you know, at that price. How many guys in this range do you really think have a chance to win this term? Justin Rose, I think, does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's what people are seeing and that's what they're trying to get on. But I think there's a much bigger chance that he totally flames out. And if he wants to take 17% of the field with him, you know, bye-bye. That's, yeah. that's one of the easy, easy places to get off. Another guy I think I'm good on is like, and I liked him at the first two majors, but that low ownership that you got on Patrick Reed, like that sneaky Patrick Reed thing that you got at the Masters in Oak Hill, like that's gone. You can play Patrick Reed. You can like Patrick Reed. You're not sneaking up on anyone playing Patrick Reed this week. He's no, going to be, he's gonna be 10, 11% at least at, at 7,500. I think he's the right price. I think his ownership's a tick or two high. You yeah. Know, and- so for me, that's enough to be out because I keep I keep a pretty tight core myself. Me so too. I, I have no need to have him in the player pool. Fowler, I like too, but he's just mispriced, and you know, there's other opportunity. Like I just, 
he's going to be 17%. And it's a shame because I, I wish he was a little bit, because I think if he was 7,900 or even a flat eight, which honestly his play is deserving of right now, he's been playing great. I'd be interested, but no thanks at, at that number. He feels like the sort of free square that everybody's going to take down there because they think, yeah, or of course he was completely horrible at the PGA when everybody played him at, 30 whatever you know in the high stakes i think he was 42 percent or something crazy and, gosh and, same uh, with Wyndham, who's getting ownership again that's dangerous guys danger like dangerous. just finish top 70 in a major one time before you play Wyndham at 15 percent. jesus christ oh <laughs> uh, yeah i'm out on Wyndham clark here i don't think i'll have any i don't want the 21 percent Wyndham clark in the high stakes no thanks jeez okay so how i'm gonna do this the bottom 7k range is that because it's no fun to say guys that we don't like that are like 2% in the low sevens. I'm going to give you the one, two, three, four guys that I think are going to be around 10 or higher in the low sevens. And I want you to give me the guy that you're completely out on and the guy that you're most likely to play in that group. These are four guys that I think are going to get ownership in the low sevens. Siwoo, Woodland, Denny and Mito. Are you playing zero of the, cause it's tough. Cause there's two guys in that, that I fucking love, but I have a, like a pretty damn hard and fast rule about, you know, getting past 10% in the low sevens. Yeah. I mean, generally you're not going to see me play anybody with that kind of ownership. Um, yeah. At that price level. I mean, I like Siwoo as a player. Like, I think he's fun. I think he's got high upside. But I also hate him at the U.S. Open for the same reasons I hate Terrell Hatton. I think he's a head case. I think he gets really frustrated and mad. Um, and I'm more than happy to let him be high ownership. I want nothing to do with Siwoo. The only person that I might would think about biting the bullet on is Mito. Yeah. I don't know that number. I mean, I think he's a great play. I think he's going to be one of those guys where you fade him and you're hoping he comes in at 16% or whatever, and you're hoping he flames out, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, he's T12, right? And you're kind of going, well, Faden him didn't work out great. Because I think he's got a chance to play the, really well. Yeah, it's a thing with Eric Cole and Mark Hubbard last week that were both 15% in the 7K range. And I said they were bad plays, and I completely stand by it. Guess what? Like, like bad chalk is going to hit sometimes in DraftKings. Well, it's just, you got to play the long game and like, not avoiding that has been a winning strategy for us. Realistically, the goal is to have a six of six in a week when there aren't many six of sixes. And that sounds simple. But in order to do that, you have to be off of some of the guys that everyone else has, right? Because if right. if you didn't have if you have all the chalk guys and they all missed the cut, then you lost. And if they all made the cut, then you're just there with everybody. And you're else. not so guaranteed anything. That's exactly right. <laughs> Then you're just competing. I mean, the goal is to take these giant contests and chop them down to be much smaller contests on the weekend, right? A two in the U.S. Open with the top 60 in ties, and I mean, 15 guys you've never heard of are going to make the cut. So a bunch of your dudes that you love here in the sevens are missing the cut. The goal is when it's a two or three percent, six of six percentage. Yeah, for you to have good old four in there competing against now not 50,000 people in your contest, but now you're competing against what? 2000 and then you get a winner at 7%. Now you're competing against 500, you know, and that that's the way to win the money. Uh, and it's hard to do that if you're just picking chalk 
and everybody's going to, you know, have the same guys because you cannot, you, you don't get the edge when the chalk guys bust, right? So, you know, the more chances you can take in terms of fading the chalk and three or four of those guys blow up, well, now you're ahead. Now, it seems simple, but it's really the way you have to think about these big field contests. By the way, this tournament and this golf course is way better for our strategy than like the Masters. Yes. I And I, that should be obvious to people, but I mean, I, you know, I just, this is a golf tournament that 160 guys are playing in and 60 of them are making the cut. And I've not to get back into a whole course breakdown thing, but when the ball is on the ground, that creates inherently more variance because what players at the highest level want is maximum control over their golf ball, right? Like they are, they stand on the range and are like, I hit a seven iron 192 yards with a two yard cut with this smash factor and this launch. And what happens when they get onto golf courses like LACC is it takes that element of control that they may have had at TPC Craig ranch. It's more of a guessing game for them. Right. Sure. And that makes it more of a guessing game for us. And that's, 100%. and that's what we like. And with all that being said, I may be like, 60% Mito because he is the strongest. And I can do that because I'm playing a lot of Sung Jay and Jason Day and Justin Thomas and Cam Smith and can't lie. But I, you know, he is a he is one of the biggest statistical discrepancies that I have seen in quite some time. And I actually my biggest mistake at the PGA was I didn't pay enough attention to what was actually happening on the live tour, like who is actually, who is actually in good form on the live tour. And you dive into that stuff a little bit. Mito's like, Mito's got the ball on a fucking string. I mean, this is a guy that had a major in his fucking hands on 18. If he didn't get electrocuted and the guys gained 15 strokes ball striking, I think at the first two majors that's behind like Scheffler and Brooks. Yeah. So, you know, if there's ever a situation where I'm playing a 14% guy in the low sevens, and I, I may not like if this gets more out of control and he's like 17 or 18, and keeps creeping up. I, I will, I, I bet him at 150 to one, but he would be the guy I'm most inclined to. And yeah, and- you know, and one of my problems strategically, I do a little self scouting and I think it's that I buy myself the opportunity to take the good chalk play. Right. Here. Me and too. I- and I still, yeah. I'm like, I've bought yeah. that chance. I've nailed ownership at every level. And there's the guy at 7,000 that I know is a great play. And you know, what makes me nail the guy at 9,100 makes me stay off of that really good chalk play. So doing some self-scouting, it's like at some point, if you're nailing the whole thing, like I've had weeks where my lineups literally have 20% combined ownership. And I'm like, okay, that's great. I mean, I'll win the whole thing if I if my players play well. But I've bought myself the ability to not take so many chances down at the bottom with that play that I know is good versus playing Nick Hardy or whatever the hell I'm going to do just to get somebody at 0.1%, right? So you, you have to be smart about it, you know, whenever you're building your lineups that way and, and figure out, where have you eaten chalk and where have you not? Um, and that's something I'm trying to get better at. How are you on boarding status? I got like 30 minutes. So okay. Good. All right. Perfect. 
Okay. Do you have anybody else that you want? We talked about the high owned guys in the sevens. Is there any like low owned gems in the low sevens that you want to shout out? Um, yeah, I kind of like Victor Perez. Is that weird? Interesting. No, you know, Ryder cup motivation. (laughs) Yeah. I think he's just kind of scrambles well. And, you know, I I think he's sort of a creative player. Obviously, he's going to come in low. I mean, I know every now and then he just puts his face off, and you can't. He's basically French Denny McCarthy, is what he is. Right. You're getting him at two percent versus twelve, right? That's kind of how I see him. And he's got some sort of international chops. He plays plays well in big events, so I I don't hate him at that number. I don't know if I really have anybody else that I feel strongly about. Um, don't mind Chris <laughs> Kirk. Um, I, I kind of like Henley, but I I think Henley will be like seven ish percent. Yeah, there's Where's actually that? there's there's why? there's one or two guys in the sixes that I do really like though. Well, can you tell me why people? Love, I guess the ball striking numbers have been good here recently. I didn't realize Henley finished fourth at the Masters. That's right, he went nuts. He made everything coming down the stretch. Yeah, he that. he putted like nuts, but it was a firm Masters this year. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right, I could see it. I don't know. I don't know that ownership percentage that I love Russell Henley at a U.S. Open. Fair. I played him coming off a win the Houston Open. Not to get too deep into Memorial Park. Just watched him struggle so much out of the Bermuda and just like, oh really? It was just tough to. He missed the cut and he was like feature group that week. He was you know one of the favorites and just didn't have the giddy up to win. I watched because he was in the same group as Finau and maybe Harris English too. And you're watching even Harris English hit it like 20 or 30 by him. And he's playing out of the rough. And it just, you can tell he didn't have that gear that the other guys had. Uh, and it was kind of hard to watch because he was just behind an eight ball. And I could see that happening here a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Sixes. Mm, Ownership-wise, I don't really think you have to worry about much down here. I'll just say the guy that I personally really like. I mean, I'm just I'm telling everybody now. It happens every year, whether it's, you know, Brian Harmon, T3 at Aaron Hills, Denny, T7 at at a, at Country Club last year. There's going to be a short knocker that finishes top 10 at this tournament. Most people seem to think it's Denny. Could be Brian Harmon. Could be a lot of these guys. Is Matt Kuchar for me. I, I actually really, I really like a 2% 6,900 Matt Kuchar in this spot. Give me just, give me that experience Give me that knowledge. Give me that 12th at Chambers Bay, that that 12th at Pinehurst, that 28th at Marion, that good record at Augusta, you know, 34th at Southern Hills. You want to finish 34th this week, Matt? I'm okay with that at, at 2% 6,900. I'm, I'm good with that. He's just been real. He's been, he's been playing really well this season. Like he's just, you can't call him washed up. He's not going to win, and he doesn't need to. Which I know has different agronomy, but it's still George Thomas. And he's still, he's been great at classic courses. And he, it's because he thinks he has to think his way around the golf course, right? And if we're right that different types of players are going to be able to succeed, because it's not just going to be a bomb fest, why not Matt Kuchar, right? I I can't tell you the last time I've had Matt Kuchar in the player pool. I don't know if I'll get there, but it's not the craziest thing I've ever heard. Okay. Um, okay. I mean, that's my favorite guy. There's two other guys I have starred that I could mention, but I don't feel strongly about them. Is there anyone you feel strongly about down here? I feel strongly that I want nothing to do with 
seven or eight percent Sam Stevens or yeah. five or six percent Sam Bennett. But I'm it, so it, out on Sam Bennett. I'm I'm good. I haven't. I mean, seems like a nice kid. Does he? That's, I've had some cases in the town where he's from, Madisonville, and everybody there is just over the moon about him. I was talking to one judge who was doing the USAM, and he was like, our hometown boy, you know, doing that whole thing. I, I think that kid Thorb Jorbson is better than him. Oh, 100%. I, right? I yeah, he's good. It has that next level, but seems like a nice guy. I, I wish him well. I don't want him at 5% of his first US Open. So right. I think I'm on that. Um, in terms of guys I like, I don't, I'm really not in love with anybody down here. Obviously, yeah, it's hard to be. Yeah, I'll have some of these guys in the player pool. Um, I mean, I always love Mackenzie Hughes. I don't know. He let everybody down last week. Um, but, you know, he's been pretty good at U.S. Opens. Obviously, he was uh, horrible for me at the PGA Championship. He let me down uh, badly, but, you know, made the cut at the Masters. Obviously, played well um, at Torrey in the U.S. Open. And he's got some other – he was – he finished 24th last year at the U S open. So, I mean, he's, he's a guy who I think has a really good chance to make the cut. Um, other guys down here that I like, um, Sebastian Munoz, I think I like, uh, who knows how he's been playing on live, but was great last year at the U S open. And I think, you know, he's gonna, he's the kind of guy who's going to be able to make birdies. Some of these holes, these half bar holes, as we talked about a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll have some of Munoz, um, I know everybody in the world's been on Carson Young for weeks, so I don't think I want any of him. But I may end up with some Taylor Pendrith, to be honest with you. Hmm. So, because he's a guy who I think has the ball striking chops to play well here, has played well in California before. Uh, so I'll have a little bit of Pendrith. But, you know, overall, I'm not seeing a lot that's very appetizing down here. I wish I could write in Stuart Hagestand. I would I would pay money to get him into not that he needs money he you know realized that he could make more money in finance than professional golf you know I would I would do anything for him to be in this field I was I was tra- I was tracking that because I know how much he eats at LACC I mean he's a member here he shoots sixty three here pretty regularly I would have he would have been a a smash he he would do you remember when he was leading the US Open last year on like Thursday at 11 a.m. <laughs> I do wild you know here's the thing that I was thinking about when looking at the 6000s you know the more that I go through and I pretty much hate everybody I look at um you know with two or three exceptions other people are going to see that too and I think that may affect how lineups are constructed mm-hmm. um now, when it comes down to it, and you're building lineups. I mean, you've got to click names down there, and it's hard to click names either to put them in your pool or just to click them, you know, in your yeah. individual lineups. And I think when you see how gross it is and of how appetizing the low sevens are comparatively, like, I mean, there's a lot to like in the low sevens, right? Well, that's but, why Mito and Siwoo could be 15%. And the bottom exactly. of the US Open field's way worse than the bottom of the PGA field, right? For sure. Block. Yeah. Hundred percent. So, you know, I think there's a possibility that when people actually start building lineups, they think to themselves, "Oh, I don't really need Scheffler. I'll just go to Rom or Brooks, right? Or I'll I'll start my lineup at at Cantlay." And I think it could also uh, alleviate some of the pressure in the nines as well. Um, 
you know, Spieth might lose ownership, not because he's giving it up to Fitzpatrick, but because somebody would rather take, you know, Gary Woodland than Patrick Rogers. Right. Right. So that happens and, and we don't really think about it. It doesn't really get seen in the ownership projections until people actually sit down to start building the lineup. So you know, that's something that I would think about because there's not a lot the sixes to like, but frankly, 15 of those guys are going to make the cut. So, yeah. <laughs> which is the hard part about the USO. Um, all right. Final one. We do this every time one guy above nine K that's absolutely going to miss the cut. We're on fire with the coming off the Brooks. Um, one guy, that, one guy that's absolutely going to miss the cut above nine K and your winner. Okay. The guy who's going to miss the cut above $9,000. Victor Hovland. Yeah. I'll do someone different. That was mine. Yeah. I see that too. Yeah. I'll go Homa because that was my choice, but I'll go Homa because he's just the other guy that I'm just a lot lower on than consensus. But those are the two guys, Homa and Hovland, that I'm just lower on than market. Um, okay, pick to win. John Rom. Yeah. Can I can I have both the disgusting brothers? Because they're they're so incompetent. I I'll should get you. I should get both of them. I think that's that's only fair. I don't know which one I like more than the other, to be honest with you. Probably like Cantlay a little bit more, but I I, I think these guys make a big statement. I, I do. I think with majors, and it serves me well. I do in terms of like hitting the winners. I I do good at majors and do really good on DraftKings too. Usually, probably because I put way more time into them. But there's always like you got to have this like feeling before, you know. And I'm so stat based, but I just I, I just feel that those guys are just going to step up this week. I don't know if they're going to win. But I just feel that they're at that age, they're at that time, they're doing everything you want statistically. I like this golf course for both of them. They're playing unbelievable golf right now, both of them. And I just, I just think they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna step up. They're gonna, they're gonna. One of those guys is gonna say something this week. Like, I don't, I don't think they're like going it. quietly into the night. Well, I like it. If Cantley wins. I will. Um be a pretty rich man this week probably because i think i'll be pretty exposed to him and yeah me so, too be right there with you um hope to see rory play well we didn't talk much about rory but i really hope to see him play well i know shackleford actually said on his podcast he thinks it's a great course fit for rory i don't know that i agree with that necessarily but i'm the form frankly has been weirdly okay like yeah. two straight tournaments he probably could have and should have won it's just classic Rory that he just melts down mentally on the weekends. Um, but I'm really interested to see what he does around this place because I don't, it feels like a big moment for him professionally, just where he's at with all the stuff going around. So he'll be a fascinating character this week. Um, coming in with kind of low expectations compared to even the PGA when expectations were already low. So I'm a golf fan. First and a gambler second. I, I would take Rory. I'm not betting Rory. I will be exposed to him in DraftKings. I would much rather Rory wins this tournament than Xander or Cantlay. And he's the guy. If I can, if I can get away with following him without getting broken up with, I'm. He's the guy that I'm going to follow the entire time. Once he's again, 
Kepler and you'd have been fine, right? I know. I know. No, I, well, what's, you know, they did put out the tea times. Rory Brooks is Rory Brooks, a decky, I think. So well, I'm interested to see how Rory plays alongside Brooks, just because it might, I mean, it's a real light, his competitive fire a little bit, like early in the tournament, which I think he needs, you know, just I hope to, he just watches how Brooks plays the golf course and, and does that. I could do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're good enough. You could do it. Scott, yeah. Just like aim, you're such a good ball striker. Talent's not the issue. Just like aim, like make a lot of pars. Like if you like, honestly, if you're even par, I, I seriously, if you're even par heading into the weekend, like you're going to be in the mix. Just make a lot of pars, Rory. Seriously. We'll and I agree. I agree with Jeff in the sense that I've always felt that this was a a good course fit for Rory. And if you want to believe Colt Nost, which I don't, I don't know how much we want to do that, but Colt Nost on the broadcast was, was very vivacious about, you know, I spoke to Rory last night. He's never been there before, but he fucking loves the place. He was so fired up to get to LACC. You know, he watched the Friday video. He, he loves that golf course. He's, he's absolutely fired up. Um, and, my concern with Rory on this golf course is I think that the driving issue that he had at Oak Hill that still allowed him to compete at Oak Hill. I don't think that that will allow him to compete here, but it's looked fucking amazing at, at, uh, it's looked fucking amazing at, at his drivers looked unbelievable at the Memorial and unbelievable in Canada too. And, well, my and, 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 and I'll say, I don't think I'm wrong. Um, I'm actually like very sure that I'm not wrong. But if I am wrong about the scoring and this being a softer golf course, that does that, does that plays into Rory's hands even more. So, well, you know, I think back to St. Andrews and I started thinking about the guys that played well there because if yeah, I mean, St. Andrews, hard. he's top ten at Chambers Bay too, right? Yeah, I mean, if you get if you get St. Andrews and you get a little bit needing to be creative. And, you know, making weird shots around the greens and get some sort of awkward distances on these, you know, sort of half par holes. There's a lot of half par holes at St. Andrews, too. And that's the yeah. it's come that way. And he's, there's had, a lot of he's had really good rounds on firm Augusta. Yeah, sure. I agree. So I'll be interested to see how he really there's a lot of question marks about how the course will play. But I, I see a scenario where guys are need to get up and down from weird spots on tight turf. And I don't hate Rory. I like him more from 48 yards than I do from 131. So, yeah, you know, we'll see. Um, all right, Kobe, I will see you in person quite soon. Just a couple of weeks. We'll be playing golf right out where you are in the speaking of chambers. I'm so psyched to see that golf course. Seriously. Cause I, I, I man, I, I, I hope it gets another chance. Cause I, I, they got some things wrong with the agronomy and, and the, the POA with the greens, but from a, golf course standpoint i just i hope that gets a second life and i'm so fired up to check it out well they redid the greens and we played it last year and they're phenomenal now i know they cool. had the women's usam there um and we should we're getting it in you know late june so it should be just absolutely dialed in so i'm looking forward to that too we'll get the we'll get the best of it all right buddy have a safe flight my friend and we'll do it again soon all right, that is it for the podcast. Special thanks to Kobe. Special thanks to RickRunGood.com. And we'll be back on Sunday or Monday recapping the U.S. Open. 
uh, and looking ahead to the Travelers. Until then, best of luck with all of your bets this week. Many, many thanks for all of the support on all the podcasts and content. Uh, and enjoy the tournament. It's going to be a good one. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack And the dead center back road stop